Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Here to do a bowl eligible Nolcast. Just a just an ounce of uh, being presumptuous there, but uh, something that we feel comfortable with. Uh, comf- speaking of comfortable, Louisiana hot sauce in the morning, Louisiana hot sauce at night. Uh, fortunate to be able to work with them. And uh, Publix has the larger bottle on sale. As I mentioned frequently, I'm pretty sure Publix sales are a national or regional thing. So uh, if that is your grocery store of choice, keep an eye out for it. And Bud, let's jump into some BC look back, a very thorough ASU preview that we'll be giving you tonight and uh, talk a little coaching search uh, in the middle. I think it's going to be a fun night. Uh, I ended up picking up uh, three of those bottles, so... Very cool. Big big on Louisiana hot sauce. But first, before we talk a little coaching search, before we talk any bowl possibility, by the way, I think this team's going to go to a bowl. Feel pretty good about that one. Ingram, let's go ahead and talk about the game that helped him get to the bowl, uh, which you did an excellent job in the instant reaction recapping, so we will not take that long to recap it. But Florida State 38, Boston College uh, 31. A lot of... uh... A lot of good things to take away from the game, and just as far as mentality and uh, small little steps taken by individual players, I I do think it's kind of a almost a hilarious reflection point on James Blackman's career that he walks out of that stadium with the best game that he's played since putting on a Florida State jersey, and two thirds of the fan base is. <laughs> <laughs> is intoxicated with the idea of Travis playing quarterback from here on out. Uh, that's just kind of a microcosm of uh, James's career, but a nice game uh, for Blackman. Uh, had some real high moments and a, a really solid performance turned in uh, from a guy who, you know, wasn't one, one exactly sure whether or not he was even going to be the starting option. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, he, he played well uh, through the deep ball pretty well i will say like he had some deep balls against wake forest that were dropped and probably would have you know looked better had they not been but these guys uh a couple drops in this game notably from you know one receiver uh and cam Akers had one but a a really nice game overall for blackman 18 of 26 for 346 is awesome uh big time explosion in the passing game and part of that is is obviously look boston college's defense is literally terrible i mean they're they're hot garbage uh they were 122nd in sack rate in like coming into that game and then uh this after that game they are 124th so after that performance they actually dropped uh two more spots so only six teams worse than bc in the nation in terms of getting uh, to the passer and we discussed that in the little mini preview i did of hey like yeah florida state's offensive line kind of sucks but BC is even worse at getting to the quarterback than Florida State is allowing people uh, to get the said quarterback. Blackman did a nice job. He looked comfortable in the pocket. Um, he, he slid around there pretty well, moved. Not that he had a ton of pressure on him, but there were a couple times he had some pressure, and he did avoid getting sacked. I thought he had some nice scrambles. And overall, uh, looked good. Um, you know, did, did he start solely because Blackman or because Hornibrook got dinged up, as Odell in, indicated in the press conference? Uh that, that he was dinged up. I don't know if it's solely because of that. If I had to kind of put my suspicions out here, it's that maybe Bryles had kind of seen enough of Hornerbrook in the Miami game and the Syracuse game to say, okay, we're, we're going to go with James Blackman here, um, even if perhaps he once preferred uh, Hornerbrook. So I, I thought a pretty nice job there from Blackman, but also looked 
I got to say, man, I'm kind of texting my guys and ribbing them a little bit like, hey, you guys were not real high on, on what Jordan Travis could do for you this year. You know, and thought it was thought it was really good. You got him his depth and didn't really see him as a guy who could be an answer at the quarterback position. And he had a really nice game. I mean, three carries, 94 yards, two long runs, looked good. Now, maybe that's on me, honestly, for not asking the right questions. Maybe that's on me for, for saying, hey, like, is Jordan Travis not an option at quarterback? Maybe what I should have been texting these guys is, hey, like, can he not help FSU out with some kind of specialty package? That type of thing. Because, look, maybe, I'll get, maybe I would have got a yes for that. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Clearly, the message I was getting did not match up with what we saw on the field on Saturday. He helped this team out running the football. Would he be as good running the football against some, some of the better defenses FSU's played? No, clearly not. I mean, Boston College is the worst defense FSU's played all year. And I think that includes Louisiana Monroe, to be honest. But, like, I mean, in some of these kind of coin flip games, maybe having him for a series could have helped. Maybe running some wildcat with him. Uh, especially, like, maybe against Miami when, when Cam Akers didn't look 100%, maybe instead of the wild Cam. Perhaps that could have helped you out a little bit, although Miami pretty much whipped you up front in a way that Boston College couldn't dream of. I, I'm just kind of like, damn, like why did it take this long? Right? Did was was Willie Taggart saying no to, to using Jordan Travis there? Because it, it it is interesting that that happened then. Or was Hornerbrook just not available because the Miami injury was was bigger than they let on? I I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get those answers officially, but it is nice to see. Uh, him running the round, and if he can, if he can throw, which they didn't let him throw, and my guess for the reason why I was being told no, uh, he's not really an option at quarterback for us this year. My guess is it's the throwing and the running of the offense in practice. But like I, I like to see that that extra package that they're using, and I don't know if it'll help you against Florida because again I don't know if you can block Florida, but that could help you out win a bowl game potentially. Well, absolutely, it could help you win a bowl game. And I think, uh, as I mentioned on the the instant, I just think all, all of those reads, all those plays where you have to account for the quarterback and not just think that Hornerbrook's not going to, you know, half-ass pull off some some uh, read obligatory uh, jog as he comes out of that. And just respect the idea of what, what that individual can do with the ball and that they can pull it. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that Travis can contribute, and uh, I'm not trying to take shots at a guy, but, you know, Hornerbrook has one of the more pedestrian arms that I've ever seen play college football. I, I guess Travis could be, you know, wildly erratic, make bad decisions with the ball. I'm not trying to discount that, but, like, there's <laughs> everybody has ounces of liability to them uh, on this roster when it comes to the quarterback position uh, when putting the ball in the air and, it will be interesting to see if we get an idea as to what uh, Travis's full skill set is by the end of the year. Absolutely, and not not to be like lazy sports guy, but I, Travis is pretty accomplished. Uh, or am I just confusing? I mean, I know his brother's a hell of a baseball player, but didn't Travis have uh, a baseball background? I think he played as well. Um, look, he's a good athlete, and I, I don't know that his arm is weak. I just don't know if he like knows how to run and command the offense. I mean, clearly Blackman has struggled with it at times this year, so it wouldn't really shock me if if Travis is, is struggling um, more like that, right? So, I don't know, but it is kind of frustrating that they didn't find a way to use him 
at all for for most of the year um and and only did it in this game and of course uh, like uh, the first time you give him the ball he, he takes off for a touchdown right so that was uh, that was that was pretty cool to see i guess the last thing uh here oh boy the uh the decisions being made by some of the coaches the head coaches in this game really on both sides uh were uh, a bit a bit puzzling uh and really hurt both teams chances of winning i think odell deserves credit for not having this team get down and not having it be all pouty after getting its butts beat by Miami. Uh, but he really didn't coach us like an interim coach would coach in terms of, hey, let's go for it. Let's make decisions that are actually a lot closer to optimal decision-making because optimal decision-making is more going for it and less punting and kicking. And Kicking a field goal from the three-yard line is in the first quarter is an objectively wrong decision, as is those two punts. Uh, inside the 40-yard line uh, of of Boston College, I mean those are um, those are just bad decisions. And and the thing is, like that's three of ten FSU drives ending on poor coaching decisions. So uh, kind of surprising there. But I think he deserves credit for getting the team to play hard, getting the team ready to play, and getting the team uh, to play together. So overall, uh, that was a positive. But there's really no reason for Florida State to be down big in this game. Uh, and in fact, it probably has a lead at halftime if those correct decisions are made. So I thought that was kind of curious. I was joking around with my friend, friend Bill Connolly on, on Gchat on Monday, and I was like, dude, check this out. You had an interim coach take like the most conservative and incorrect possible approach uh, to actually managing a game you could, and yet they still won. So uh, Odell is now tied in road wins with Willie Taggart. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a stat. Hell of a stat. And uh, for two years in a row, Boston College has been uh, somewhat complicit in allowing you to get a uh, much-needed victory. Not uh, you alluded to this earlier, but not a uh, you know not a, a perfect or a masterful game of chess being played by that sideline either. Exactly. He uh, man, I feel bad for Adazio in some ways. Like he's taken in the Bulls more often than not. I think that's kind of your ceiling at Boston College, but. Man, yeah, he does mismanage games pretty bad at times. Uh, at least he's not playing quite as slow as he used to. Uh, but also, that defense, like, I know he, he lost a bunch of guys to the NFL last year off that defense, and he, but it's not like he didn't recruit these dudes who are playing now. And, like, that defense can't play a lick. And they're, they're not inside the top 100. That, that's Their defense is every bit as bad as Florida State's offense was last year. Yeah, that's a bad, bad, bad defense. So, nice win. Credit to everybody involved. Uh, great to see Florida State get a road victory, a road victory that pushes them into bowl eligibility. And uh, we'll spend a couple minutes on the ASU game here at the end of the podcast. Just to let you all know, we won't be doing a instant reaction after that game, uh, absent like something totally unseen we won't be doing an instant reaction podcast but uh we'll give you an idea as to what to look for here at the end of the podcast but before we do that let's turn our attention to the meat of tonight's conversation and that is florida state's pursuit for its next head coach yeah i think this is what everybody wants us to talk about here um let's go ahead and talk about bob stoops maybe i think that would be the proper individual to begin this conversation with. So, um, we spent the vast majority of time discussing Stoops last week and said, 
Look, if you don't start to hear names uh, leak out by Monday or Tuesday of next week, we think that's a really positive sign and a sign that there's some very real legitimacy tied to this uh, by both parties. And um, we're recording currently 9 o'clock on the dot on Tuesday evening. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think what we said is pretty correct. I think that uh, Florida State has a – well, I don't want to put words in your, your mouth, but I'll speak for myself. I think Florida State has a confidence about where they stand. Um, this has been a fairly consistent confidence while at the same time reiterating not a done deal, uh, working with an individual who is – kind of historically hard to get across the finish line at times and uh, a lot of things still up in play but some real positive uh, progress has been made and there's some momentum behind the idea of Bob Stoops becoming Florida State's next head coach in the eyes of some exactly so I was asked by, by somebody today like like are you are you guys saying it's a done deal I was like no they're they're not they're not saying it's a done deal I would describe what they're telling me as them being encouraged and them being optimistic. But I do not have anybody telling me that this is absolutely any kind of done deal. I think the the encouraging attitude that these guys have is this. They have not yet received a no from Bob Stoops, which is encouraging, right? Like at least not a, hey, I'm definitely not coming here, stop wasting my time type thing. And I think that they are encouraged by their ability to, I don't want to say meet his demands, because I can't classify them as demands, but to meet the uh, wants and needs of someone of Bob Stoops's stature in terms of if I was going to come back to coaching the, the college football, which I don't even know if I want to, these would be the things that I would require. Uh, and so I think that is where, wouldn't you agree, like like the people we talk to on the Florida State side, that's where their positivity comes from. It's Bench, hey, we, benchmarks we can, that have to be met that up until this point in time, Florida State's been comfortable uh, agreeing to. Yes. You don't have anybody saying done deal unless you've got a text in like the last five minutes. I know this because we talked Never. early before we hit No, before. I mean, from the time, uh, you know, Bud and I spoke at the time of the <laughs> the hyper hysteria, and neither of us had people saying done deal, saying, you know, basically the same message we're saying Nobody tonight. we trusted. There's confidence. People that would know. There's confidence. They think that they're uh, giving this an absolute go. There's been periods of time to where – uh, both parties have kind of gone off, had their own, um, you know, their own assessment of the situation, and parties have come back and talked to each other. Here's the other thing I just want to touch real quickly on the, you know, the done deal conversation of uh, of previous time. Um, if Florida State is able to do this, they will be making a financial commitment to football at a level that even Jimbo Fisher in his heyday uh, did not touch. You're damn well Florida State wanted. Uh, you're damn well correct in believing that Florida State was not just going to hand over a contract and that type of money to an individual without having some very real assurances that they're ready to live a lifestyle that they walked away from previously and do not have to live and live a lifestyle that's conducive with playing college football at the highest level. And that, by that, I mean like horrible work hours. Um, putting yourself through a situation that some people, after they've kind of made it to the proverbial mountaintop, uh, don't do again. So, yeah, uh, both both sets of parties needed to discuss resources and get a good feel that uh, 
that both parties were willing to commit what's necessary to play in this sport at the absolute highest level. So um, I completely agree with that. What I think the easiest way to put that would be they want to make sure that Bob Stoops is not trying to retire to Tallahassee, right? Like if you're going to write this kind of check, not only to him, but to support staff, to all these assistants and all that kind of stuff, to big time coordinators, you're damn right. You, you, you got to be sure that he's all in, you know, and honestly, I, do, do we know if they know that yet? Like, like until that guy says yes to you, which I don't believe he said yes to you yet. I don't know that you can absolutely know that. Now, I do think that they've tried to do some vetting on this to, you know, to gauge the actual interest of him coming back to college. So that's where our FSU people are as far as being optimistic uh, about this. Now, here's the other reason why I think there's some legitimate optimism, and this is not quite as strong, but it's something that you said in the last episode, right? You said, hey, if we don't start to hear other major names like emerging as, as big-time candidates from within Florida State, I think you can really you can really hear this more. But the other place you'd probably hear this from is from other media out there, right, who cover national coaching searches. Your, you know, your Andy Staples, your, your Bruce Feldmans, your Adam Rittenbergs, your Stephen Godfreys, who, full disclosure, and, and Richard Johnson, who I both work with. And the agents who I know and, and who may know, like, if you're not hearing other names popping up, like, there could be certain reasons for that, which we'll talk about in a second, but certain names would start to pop out. And the only stuff I'm seeing so far is, like, I know this coach would have interest in the job, right? For instance, Andy Staples tweeted that Mike Leach would have interest in the Florida State job, that he wants the Florida State job. In no way is that him saying that Florida State has interest in Mike Leach. I'm not seeing anybody who has a good national reputation, who makes their, their living on coaching church stuff, link anybody else to Florida State in a serious manner. Now, that does not mean that Florida State is not doing its due diligence. That's certainly what the search firm that they hired. In last episode, we explained what a search firm does and, and what it means to hire a search firm. You know, helps you skirt Sunshine State laws of uh, open records. It helps you uh, with a lot of logistical stuff and background searches and also just making connections, which Florida State certainly needs because it has more of a finance guy as its athletic director right now in David Coburn. Not that that's a bad thing, but he doesn't have as many athletic contacts uh, as perhaps somebody else might. It's why Florida State needs to have a strong search committee, and I, I think they have one. I think Florida State is doing its, its due diligence. I think it is doing a lot of background stuff and inquiring on other candidates, too, because it can't get caught with its pants down here. But I do think it's notable that we're not hearing these other names really that much from inside Florida State, but also we're not really hearing these other names from the outside. And, and part of the conversation is going like this. It's like, from some of these national guys, yeah, Florida State's crazy to think they can get Bob Stoops. There's no absolutely no chance that, haha, LOL. But what we're, we're not seeing, like, Florida State thinks they're going to get Bob Stoops. Yeah, right. The guy they're actually probably going to get is such and such. We're not seeing that second half of that conversation. I, I think that is notable. And yet, to push back on this a little bit, and this is something I, I was speaking with somebody about, and he said, hey, one of the things you got to consider here is you have to balance the volume of the Stoops conversation with the volume about other candidates because the candidates who this person thinks will be involved eventually in the search if Florida State cannot land Stoops, and he is not dismissing Stoops as a possibility, by the way. Uh, but he said, look, 
my guess is that a lot of these guys who Florida State would be after are going to be in either the playoff or the conference championship hunt in their respective league. And as such, uh, discretion is going to be really important for them. So their agents are not going to be talking to the media quite as much as normal. Not that Florida State's boosters wouldn't still talk to the media, clearly. But there would be some incentive for Florida State to try to keep that a little bit quieter, too, because the coaches don't want their name to get out there as, hey, this guy's like actively talking to another school while he's in the hunt for a playoff race. You remember that with, uh, with Les Miles, I believe, uh, when he was potentially going to go to Michigan and Kirk Herbstreit had claimed that he knew Les Miles was going to Michigan, all that kind I'm of stuff. I'm almost positive Herbstreit Herb was 100% correct on that at the time. And then a guy, and and, then a guy backed out, yeah. And Les had to walk out there and make that statement in the Georgia Dome press conference and say he had a hell of a football team to go coach. Yep. Um, so, it, yeah, the thing is, like, there's no real downside for the Stoops volume to be very high. And if the volume is high, in, high but it's also high in comparison to a lack of volume by other candidates, that could indicate that Stoops is still their A1, which I believe he absolutely is. But it also could, could indicate that... Uh, maybe some of the other volume is artificially depressed simply because they are purposefully depressed, I guess you, you would be the appropriate term there, simply because these coaches don't want their name out in the middle of a playoff or conference championship hunt. And, uh, and that would make sense too. But I, I don't think it's nothing that we're not hearing these other names at this point, as you indicated, I mean, literally a week, a week ago tonight. Oh. Yeah, I think it's significant, and uh, you just don't hear much of, uh, yeah, some of the people that I know probably a little bit more based in the in the pro scene, but uh, you know, agencies overlap, and the lack of uh, a lot of agent chatter about this position is, I think, in my opinion, telling at least where Florida State is um, at the moment. So um, we kind of alluded to this earlier uh with with some of the financial backing that you would have to give stoops but i do kind of feel like florida state's uh, i don't know this is over dramatic but uh then is kind of sitting at the the prefaces right now of trying to decide you know absolutely do we push all our chips in commit to playing football at the highest level and i'm very clearly uh seem to be going to that route but um you know this this will be a interesting search to see where it ultimately lands and maybe kind of what you can draw from Florida State's commitment to football and uh, if there is a, a real commitment to kind of uh, sound like the Raiders here, but a, a commitment to excellence uh, on on the gridiron. I believe that they have stepped up and, and, uh, and shown that they're willing to do a lot of these things, right? Like, hey, if you get Bob Stoops, commit to having a staff that I'm not saying you're going to have Georgia or Clemson staff, but something that, that doesn't put you way behind the eight ball, right? Something that is commiserate with um, you know, the schools that he'll be asked to compete against, I think. And that's something that Florida State's going to have to find find a way to pay for, too, which I think – I'm not saying they don't have the money, but I think part of their uh, ability to pay for that is going to be uh, premised on the hope and, and, uh, and I think a reasonable belief that ticket sales and donations will increase if you were to land a guy – like Bob Stoops, which they have not done so yet, to our knowledge, but certainly uh, I think is still very possible at this point. 
six sixty five thousand dollar collar shirts a year start to start to add up pretty quickly. Exactly. Um, there's there's no doubt. And if you want thirty of them, I mean, you're looking at a uh, you know, million and a half there. So at least per year. That's that's a pretty big deal. Now I will I will note this by the way. Um, we have not weighed into the like race conversation very much, but I'm not like picking sides on this necessarily, but you will see some articles and blowback about this. If Florida State gets Bob Stoops and it gives Bob Stoops an enormous support staff, right? Like I mean, three or four times the size of what Florida State has right now. Uh, and it does so after cutting the budget for support staff and cutting positions for Willie Taggart. You're going to see some articles about how like that's racial and and you know hey they they supported that they they supported Willie Taggart by by cutting his staff and cut and slashing his budget and are supporting Bob Stoops by you know doubling or tripling the size of his support staff. So just get ready for that if that does happen. Now I don't think most fans will end up caring about that too much because. They will have Bob Stoops if that comes to pass, and uh, a, a better, um, a better football staff overall. But also, like in terms of quality, but also in terms of quantity. Just to let you know, we, we were talking about that before the show. I'm like, you realize what's going to happen here, right? Because this, like, they cut Willie's staff and they weren't happy about it, and then now they get a new coach. And if it's a certain coach, then they're probably going to be increasing the staff um, by a lot. We'll take time to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, uh, Madison Social, the flagship of uh, of the For the Table Group, somebody that we've been fortunate to work with, uh, as I mentioned all the time. Uh, love Madison Social for just about everything, but uh, for me, uh, my ideal setting is a in a way basketball game. Uh, keep that in mind. Great place to go down there uh, for whatever reason, and a great people to partner with if you have any kind of event or catering need in the near future work directly with matt thompson the individual we've been so fortunate to pair with since day one you can reach matt at matt at for the table hospitality.com again matt thompson at matt at for the table hospitality.com so you want to get to uh, kind of one of the the, uh, the lingering concerns we have about all this yeah absolutely so um uh, brief briefly alluded to this previously that stoops is uh florida state's the first real blue chip program that we're aware of that's courted bob stoops in in quasi retirement um but there's been other institutions that have kind of met bob stoops's original set of uh general requirements bitch marks demands whatever you want to label them as and um and then kind of lines of communication went cold, and then you got uh, a kind of a formal no. And for a period of time over the past couple of days, I've had some Florida State people, previous couple of days, had some Florida State people express concern to me that they were worried that they had perhaps kind of fallen into a similar pattern. But this is, uh, you know, it's not an exact carbon copy of what happened with him at, at Florida, but there were certainly decision makers and people um, in power who thought they were going to bring him uh, to Gainesville, perhaps even twice, and um, ultimately were unable to push it across the push it across the finish line. Yeah, and of course, being that Florida State is in Florida, uh, those decision makers are going to talk. So Florida State is aware of Florida's failed attempts to get Bob Stoops. I, I don't think they're blind to this, and 
I think your guys are, are right to uh, have some concern about that, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a scary thing. I will say the saving grace here is that you fired your coach on November, what, 4th, I think it was. So you are way ahead of the other coaching searches out there right now. I mean, Arkansas is the only other open job as far as the, the Power Five, and I really don't believe that you're going to be swimming in the same pool as Arkansas for coaches uh, with possibly one exception, maybe, which would be Gus Malzahn, uh, who we discussed, I believe, on the last show. Um, but, like, I, I so when I mean, you have a large head start on this, we both believe Florida State is doing their due diligence on other candidates kind of quietly behind the scenes right now, not like full-on interviewing them, getting ready to hire them. Um, we still believe their A1 is Stoops. But uh, because they're aware of Florida's attempted, you know, attempts to get Bob Stoops and failures to do so, I, I think that they are not going to be caught blindsided if he ends up not taking the Florida State job. Oh, we also had a source tell us, hey, I don't think anything happens this week. As far as any kind of announcement, uh, if you guys end up needing to get like like drunk and uh, you know go to the party or something the next couple of nights, don't feel bad about it. I really don't think you guys are going to need to do like an emergency podcast. Emergency podcast, so, absolutely. That was basically word for word. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be the first emergency podcast that we had done with varying levels of sobriety, but it's uh, it's been no a while. FCC on these airways, baby. <laughs> All right, so um, hey, look, we'll we'll. Keep you as up to date as possible. Podcast is a hell of a tough format to do a coaching search on. Um, we so far we think we've done a decent job of giving you an idea as to timelines here, um, and we'll you know commit to having something first or next week. And um, if such an event were to occur, we will do our best to uh, stay sober and try to package information uh, as, as well as possible. One other name that we need to talk about in the coaching search is uh is odell something we talked about last week and acknowledge this and uh i don't think i don't think i'm really going to change my opinion a whole lot of this I, I think odell is an option i think odell has uh, an awful lot of support um, by people that matter uh, and that support's been there for forever um, but I, you know, look, I think if Florida State swings and misses on Stoops, I think they'll go to a PJ Fleck, Matt Campbell, James Franklin type. And if they're not able to secure a name from that list, uh, then I think Odell would, you know, there, there would be a potential movement to kind of come home to Odell. So this is something that, uh, we talked, we talked about po or pre-show rather, um, we do know that there are some major boosters who are like kind of looking at the Odell option and are, are kind of high on it. My opinion on this is, for the most part, unchanged. Um, I don't think that winning one game against Boston College uh, is something that should change your opinion on this either way, uh, but I'm sure it will for some people. Uh, the one thing I would note is that we have, and we, we discussed Odell in the last episode, so we're not going to spend forever on this, but there was a lot of Ed Orgeron comparisons, especially because Odell won this weekend, and so did Ed Orgeron, a big-time win at Alabama. Uh, however, I should note that Ed Orgeron was a disaster the first time he was a, a full-time head coach. Right, He went to Ole Miss. He was one of the best recruiting assistants in the nation. Odell is a good to very good recruiting assistant. I would not put him in like the top 10 recruiters in the country uh, at this point in his career. And by the time Ed Orgeron 
reached LSU, he had coached 43 games between Ole Miss and USC. Odell Odell has coached three games, okay? Three. And none of them have been against good teams. They have been somewhere between bad to terrible teams that he has coached against. And he is 3-0, and for that he deserves praise. Um, But Florida State can really not afford to be a big-time learning-on-the-job thing. You know, I think he would have tremendous support from the fan base in terms of uh, like spiritual and emotional support. I'm a little bit skeptical that he would have tremendous financial support from the fan base, despite the fact that he does have a real deep understanding of the program. Um, yeah, there, there's some there's a ton of examples of, of interim coaches ended up like getting the main job and not working out. The number one example of that, by the way, is a guy named Bill Stewart. For our younger listeners or listeners who are not real college football diehards, uh, I will note that Bill Stewart replaced Rich Rodriguez when Rodriguez left West Virginia for Michigan, right? That, that was the Michigan job he took. And uh, you recall this? So they ended up playing oh, yeah, definitely. Oklahoma, right, in the Fiesta Bowl, I think? Yeah, it was, it was Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl, I, I believe, that West Virginia played in. So they had Pat White and Steve Slayton, the running back, and they ended up beating Oklahoma in that Fiesta Bowl, and the players carried off Bill Stewart on their shoulders, and uh, and Bill Stewart um, uh, ended up getting like literally promoted to the West Virginia job, despite the fact that he had almost no experience. Uh, there was a big like booster uproar about it, and one of their major boosters for West Virginia, who I think owned the Arizona Diamondbacks baseball team as well. I, I, I'm trying to remember. This was, this was over a decade ago. But he uh, he ended up like not contributing anymore, I think it was, to football. And Anyway, Bill Stewart did a terrible job at, at Oklahoma. And, and his win, uh, or excuse me, at West Virginia. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the classic Bud Elliott typing there. And uh, Bill Stewart. So he had a win that was much, much better than any Odell uh, had. And... In 2007, yeah, like I said, he beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Then he ended up going 9-4, and 9-4, 9-4 at West Virginia, which really doesn't sound that bad, but you got to remember at that this point, is big West, East, Virginia, West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, it's not Big 12 West Virginia. And at that point, some of those Big East teams were no longer were like, like Miami, Virginia Tech, and uh, – um, Boston College and teams like that were no longer in the Big East. So, and it was pretty clear that West Virginia was actually going downhill uh, under under Bill Stewart, unfortunately. Um, and he ended up dying in in May of, of 2012. So that was that was pretty tragic. He ended up dying at a celebrity like a fundraising golf tournament. Really bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Super nice guy. Everybody in the program loved him, just not necessarily head coaching material. Now, I'm not saying that that would happen to, to Odell uh, at all. But I do want to ask you this. Ingram, let's say that Florida State strikes out, just hypothetically. I don't think they're going to strike out. You don't think they're going to strike out. But let's just let's engage in a hypothetical, if, if you would, think for a moment here. Let's say Florida State strikes out on its coaches that it wants. Like it's, it's A-list and perhaps it's B-list. And it is determined that the reason it is striking out is because of its internal reputation and because of the obvious, like, known uh, lack of permanency for its president and athletic director in Thrasher and Coburn. So basically, 
Thrasher Coburn are the problem if if this scenario plays out like I'm presenting it, right? The coaches understand, hey, these guys probably won't be around for very long, and I'm going to want some stability, and I would really like to know who my bosses are going to be. If that is a situation, that's not really a situation you can fix right now. My question is, if you miss on your A's and your B's, would you rather just go with Odell, keep Kendall Bryles, and uh, and and keep uh, Jim Levitt potentially as your defensive coordinator for a year or two, keep a decent amount of this recruiting class together so you don't end up with two transitional recruiting classes in a three-year span, and then keep Odell for a year or two uh, as a sort of unofficial interim. Now, you couldn't claim that it's an interim simply because, like, you would get negatively recruited to death. You would have to give them a, a real contract, just perhaps something with, you know, much lower buyout uh, number in case you needed to pull the plug. But it could give you time in this scenario if you're striking out because the feed, and the feedback you're getting is, hey, like we're not going to sign up to be on, on a thing where we don't know who our president and AD will be, and potentially booster president, by the way. If that's the reason why coaches aren't coming. Would you rather have somebody from like your C list of candidates, or would you rather have Odell for a year, year and a half? And if he works out, awesome, cool. Like like keep him, you know, however long. If he doesn't, you have the flexibility to get out and and conduct uh, another search with your new president and a new AD. I I guess my question is: A, would you ever entertain that? And B, if so, where would you draw the line? Like, would you rather go with that than Mark Stoops? Would you rather go with that than like a Dave Clawson or somebody even lower? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't go lower than that. And I would uh, be hesitant to to bring Marks to think that you fired Willie Taggart so that you could bring Mark Stoops in. Um, yeah, I think Odell, I, I could, I just laid out how I think Odell could take this job. So I won't repeat it. What I do have concerns about with Odell is the idea this message board idea that you're going to be able to throw a lot of money at, at other position coaches and coordinators. I, I just don't know how appealing of a job that's going to be to uh, a, a high end defense coordinator or, or um, other people out there. I, I think it's going to be pretty clear that you're, um, you know, coaching for a guy that's kind of a two year stopgap, and not that everybody plans to be at a school for 10 years. Uh, but I don't, I think you would be limited in who you could fill out uh, with the, some of the position coaches and coordinators there. So maybe a little bit more complicated than people would think. But I think Odell is a uh, is a very real candidate if they swing and miss. Uh, I think Odell carries himself in a different manner this time. Uh, I think Odell is uh, you know sees himself as a as a serious candidate for the position and. Um, has a has a very different demeanor it it is much more of a guy who would have an interest in the job would want the job uh than maybe the guy who was just kind of uh kind of your stopgap a couple years ago and and wasn't quite as sure about uh if that was uh, potentially his place so i totally agree with you on that um and if you don't get odell then i got the guy you who you, you want to get i got Dion freaking sanders man i mean because really, he's a candidate. So I I, uh, I saw that. Yeah, I was like, hmm, NFL network guys who are not disclosing their conflict that they actually work with Dion, <laughs> and they're not claiming that anybody from Florida State has contacted Dion. In fact, like they're just saying 
that he's a candidate. I'm like, where would this information have come from? Because nobody at Florida State floated this to me at all. It's not like it'd be something they would try to keep quiet because he's currently a coach and it could jeopardize his playoff run. It's like, oh, is like, is this just coming from him himself, like telling his NFL Network colleagues? And look, Deion Sanders is not a candidate to coach at Florida State at all. Um, especially, well, I'm not saying at all in terms of in any capacity, but not as a head coach, certainly. And what was kind of crazy here was if you care about this kind of stuff, and if you do, I would just recommend don't care about it this much. You had other media picking up on this and claiming what a cluster Florida State search is and comparing it to Tennessee. And I was like, wait a second, hold on. This is literally like fake news being reacted to as faker news. Like like you're you're creating rumors <laughs> based on other false rumors. Like yeah. this is kind of nuts. Fake news is growing at a exponential rate all of a sudden. Uh yeah, it was it was wild. I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but um they announced that Ralphie 5 is going to retire for uh Colorado. He's there he's their Buffalo. Uh and so I tweeted um uh, despite the fact that Deion Sanders has no experience as a Buffalo and has not been contacted in any way by Colorado, I am hearing he is a candidate for this new position as, as, as Ralphie Six. Because, hey, like yeah. the same amount of interest has been, been expressed you know, in Dion uh, for that one as, as he is for the Florida State head coaching job. So, Yeah, I said something on Twitter similar about I was a, as much a candidate as Dion was, but... You know, don't kid yourselves. A lot of these national media know that as well. And a lot of people think that, you know, clowning on stuff on Twitter is just too fun. And, uh, yeah, like you said, oh, this Florida State coaching search is off the rails. Well, no, it's not. Nobody contacted Dion. Nobody <laughs> with half a mind ever had a real consideration as to what Nick Saban's buyout is. But, you know, don't let national media members, uh, don't let that stop them from... Uh, having a good time on Twitter and looking for uh, but the next party that they're trying to clown on. Also, like, look, if you listen to Clay Travis for entertainment, that that's fine. If you listen to Clay Travis for, like, actual coaching insight and news, I, I would recommend don't do that. He's he's an entertainer, in, in my opinion. The Nolcast is brought to you live, well, not live, recorded, actually, from the Resolution Home Loan Studios at my house. Uh, why? Well, because I got my house through Resolution Home Loans. I called 844-FSU-LOAN and got set up with Shannon Young. Shannon's the best, best loan guy in the business. Awesome rates, incredible customer service. He's an old, so when you call, he'll want to talk a little little FSU ball with you, most likely, before getting down to business. In fact, he says that's that's kind of the icebreaker, and, and people, people bring it up to him, especially now with the coaching search. Hey, who do you think we're going to get? And you know, just kind of kind of swap some, uh, some horror stories about the last – couple seasons unfortunately but it's a nice little bonding experience before you get down to the numbers 844 FSU loan or FSU uh, sent out a couple more t-shirts this week to our new our new homeowners uh, Chris and also James so congratulations to you guys not going to drop your last names on here for obvious privacy reasons 844 FSU loan or FSU home get hooked up with Shannon best guy in the business you want to get to uh, to some names that people are asking about from our, our Patreon account? That is uh, patreon.com slash Nolcast, uh, where you can support us either at the $1 a month or $1 per show uh, level. And Ingram, you want to give a Patreon update? As I think I know we have a lot of, a lot of folks uh, supporting us now, and we, we're really appreciative. 
had a ton of growth from that. Uh, we just, uh, <laughs> despite me trying to give away all the podcast money for a, a open tab uh, at a bar uh, at Madison Social for a, a Bob Stoops party, uh, Bud was able to actually spend money on real things, uh, and we got a lot of nice T-shirts and stuff like that that we're going to try to give our Patreons over time. But uh, it's uh, great stuff. Uh, appreciate all the support we've received. Uh, I think we have a north of 150 Patreons now and uh, looking at making some improvements to some of the microphones and uh, sound capturing stuff as well. So uh, your support goes straight into the podcast, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we still we still take questions via email uh, and via Twitter, uh, but we will tell you that we look first to our, our Patreon uh, patrons, and uh, uh, we ask them, hey, like, put some names of coaches that you would like us to discuss as potential candidates who we have not already discussed. And uh, so in last episode, we discussed uh, James Franklin, PJ Fleck, who uh, certainly lost money betting against on the weekend. He had Minnesota really ready to play and deserves credit for that. Uh, Just a quick update. People ask me if I've changed my opinion on PJ Fleck. Not really. Uh, It's just one game. And the previous eight games to me are also, pretty instructive and they count but yeah i'm clearly higher on him now than i was uh, in some ways because they did beat penn state now is that a repeatable thing eh, i don't know they actually dropped in bill Connolly's ratings a- after winning that game part of that is probably because getting a stop on the goal line and then three other red zone interceptions on defense is maybe not fully a repeatable skill especially not when two of those uh, they had pretty clear pass interference committed on and that was not called uh, but they did throw the ball extremely well against um, against Penn State and deserve credit for that. We had a couple of people just as follow-ups to that ask if, if he could recruit the South or Florida. And uh, a lot of people were, were kind of skeptical about this, but uh, he, he's done a good job putting together a staff that has recruited South Georgia uh, and Florida fairly well. So I'd have to give him credit for that. Yeah, no, no, no recruiting concerns with PJ Fleck. I mean, it's a different animal recruiting the South and recruiting the South for the South's best prospects. But uh, that's yeah, that's a guy that will do what has to be done and uh, has no problem selling himself to uh, anybody, uh, high school prospects included. Okay, um, so let me see here. Other guys that we had follow up questions about before we get to the new ones, uh, James Franklin. Obviously, they lost to Minnesota over the weekend. Still very high on James Franklin as a coach. Uh, We'll note here that there is some skepticism in the agent world that USC will actually hire Urban Meyer. Uh, USC, it looks like, has its new athletic director. It's Mike Vaughn from Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is uh, – he's connected to Urban Meyer. I believe – I think Urban's son plays baseball at Cincinnati or something. And the assumption for a while – uh, was that if they got Mike, Mike, they would they would end up getting Urban Meyer to USC. Uh, he's obviously been doing some work for the Fox broadcast and their studios or or in LA, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now there's a lot of skepticism that that move will actually be allowed to happen. The new president of USC, which has been embroiled in scandal recently, I don't know if you caught this, but they've had some issues with some people taking SATs and some SAT scores that maybe weren't fully, uh, like not, not a full house of SAT scores, Ingram. And, uh, um, (laughs) not a full house. You're a funny guy. Well done. So now the new president, uh, I think her name is Carol Fult. Uh, she comes 
from North Carolina. And uh, there's some speculation, but I think it could be informed speculation from some of our agent friends out there who tell us that uh, they have real skepticism about her okaying the hire of Urban Meyer, since scandal seems to follow Urban Meyer uh, basically wherever he goes. Uh, and the fact that she just came from UNC, where they had a massive athletic scandal uh, while she was there. She was not in charge of that at the time. Uh, but she seems like someone who probably doesn't want to be like hiring somebody who is embroiled in scandal seemingly all the time. So with that said, uh, one of our concerns on the prior episode about pursuing James Franklin would be, hey, what if he just uses Florida State as sort of a leverage chip against USC, assuming that USC opens, which, by the way, USC has not fired its coach yet, but it, I think that is fairly uh, expected by people. So, yeah, that to me, if Urban Meyer is not an option there, then we really have to consider if FSU does go after Franklin, and they would be nuts not to, I think, if, if Stoops turns them down. Uh, but you do have to kind of worry a little bit about, hey, is, is he using Florida State to extract more out of USC? I mean, this is all very theoretical, but just I'm, I'm offering some updates on the on the people who we covered in the previous show. And then uh, Gus Malzahn, obviously the update there would be that because Arkansas did go ahead and fire Chad Boris after they were down five touchdowns at the half to Western Kentucky in a home game. The, the assumption is that Arkansas is going to go pretty hard a, after after Gus Malzahn, if it can. And uh, and I think he'd be a good fit at Florida State as well. But this is the one candidate who I think you might uh, – I mean, tell me if you disagree, but this might be the one candidate that the two schools might seriously compete over uh, for whom Arkansas might have an upper hand. Who Arkansas would have an upper hand? I absolutely agree with you. The only other two that were the only other real candidate where I would see they would cross waters is maybe if you think that uh, that you think Florida State's seriously going to p- pursue Mike Norvell. I, I could see those two overlapping as well. And, and we discussed that on on the last episode, obviously. So let's go ahead and get to some new candidates here uh, who listeners and patrons wanted to know about. Uh, we have uh, we have three tonight, actually. Brent Venables, Matt Rule, and also Dave Clawson. Venables was the uh, far and away the most popular two to one uh, to the next name as far as uh, general interest level from our Patreons. And uh, Brent Venables is not somebody that needs a, a real thorough introduction uh, from Butter myself, somebody that the fan base, even the general fans, can be pretty familiar with. Big risk in the fact that it would be his first uh, head coaching position, a guy that some question if he has the uh, uh, kind of the persona to be a head coach and how that would play out. Uh, but a guy who, hey, look, if, if you're looking at getting somebody that's tutored under and worked under some of the more uh, brighter, uh, well, I don't know, and Dabo successful uh, minds in college football, then yeah, he, he's a guy who comes off the Stoops tree and who's now worked with Dabo Sweeney uh, for a significant period of time. Has a real good idea as to what uh, the culture is needed of a successful program. Uh, knows how to, or at least has been around those who's known how to uh, uh, use all the resources possible to see how successful you can be. And, uh, you know, that would be as probably an advanced a coordinator hire as could be made but still very much comes with the risks that are associated with hiring a coordinator. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think he's probably the top defense coordinator in college football. Uh, there's not necessarily a hot shot offensive coordinator this year who you would go after uh, in, in some ways. I mean, Tony Elliott on the same Clemson staff is, is someone who's often mentioned. I mean, he's won the Broyles Award one time in 2016 and has been in the running several other times. Uh, he makes 1.7 at Clemson right now, and uh, that was as of 2017, so I assume he's making even more now. He may be a $2 million coordinator by this point. Depends depends on, on what source you follow. I think, Ingram, I think your concerns about not knowing how he would be as a head coach is very real. We know that coordinators, uh, at least according to the search firm people, uh, fail more often than do people with head, previous head coaching experience. Our people were telling us that they wanted previous head coaching experience in their next candidate simply because of how disorganized and seemingly like cluster things were behind the scenes at times under Willie Taggart's regime and, uh, and how this is, quote, you know, not a like learning on the job type of job, uh, which, you know, this this hire, this potential hire would seem to go against uh, that idea. So I would kind of ask, like, what has changed? Why are you now considering a coordinator? I would also have some real questions. For instance, like, what have you learned from Dabo? I mean, th- this hire would, would hurt Dabo some. Yeah, I, th- I think Venables does a tremendous job on that side of the ball. Uh, but I'd want to know, like, what have you learned from Dabo organizationally? You know, like, can, can you give Florida State some of those things that, that, that Dabo gives? Um, I also want to know, why did you not get the job at Miami, at Kansas, at Kansas State, at Texas Tech? And, and like, did you not pursue it? heavily or or what because he was very much linked to the Kansas State job by a lot of media people previously I want to know like what what jobs have you interviewed for prior like what what schools have pursued you what's what schools have you pursued and why did you not get these jobs if if you indeed went after them now it may just be he likes being a defensive coordinator and I mean his son plays on the Clemson team right now he's got something pretty special going there I mean, Clemson's defense is probably going to be really, really good in 2020, by the way. Like this year, they were supposed to take a step back, but they're still they're still elite. I mean, he's a really good defensive coordinator, does a nice job against some of these modern spread offenses. But I would ask him, like, hey, coach, how do we know that you're not going to coach like a defensive coach? And by that, I mean, how do I know that, that I'm getting one of the rare defensive coaches who understands – game management and fourth down math and and letting your offense work and that the value of having a defensive coach is that hey if I go for it at the 50 I'm going to trust my defense to get a stop there if I don't make it right Nick Saban understands that intuitively a lot of these defensive coaches do not I don't think Kirby Smart does we know damn sure Will Muschamp doesn't (laughs) right how do you know like because I'm telling you man if you hire a defensive Mm -hmm. coordinator the odds are not on your side that you're going to get one who understands how to manage a game anywhere close to optimally. For every Saban, I can give you six or seven Will Muschamp types. It, I'm serious. Like, like, go down and listen to your head. Which of these head coaches are defensive head coaches who really get it? And there's just not many of them because we know that optimal decision-making in terms of game management actually skews much closer to what I think a lot of y'all would consider extreme offensive decision-making. And so, naturally, offensive coaches are going to be closer to optimal decision-making because they just opt to be more offensive 
in nature and defensive coaches are less close to to that does that make sense like like they're further away because it's just not the side of the ball uh to which they tend to favor because that that's not the side of the ball that they coached when they were a coordinator as opposed to a head coach so i would want to ask him like hey you know bob stoops is very famous for saying yeah who am i going to hire as my offensive coordinator i'm going to hire mark mike mike leach when he got the oklahoma job and why because i want to hire the guy who gave me fits. I want to hire the guy who I would hate to defend, right? Not, hey, I want to hire the guy who's going to be a tough, tough, you know, hard-nosed running football team when, like, every single year, passing becomes the more efficient option by, you know, by a lot. It, it's, how do you prevent, all, like, like, what are your safeguards <laughs> against getting a must-champ type? Because Venables is an intense defensive coordinator. And his players love him. And I, and all of these things, by the way, were said about Will Muschamp. I, I, there's some concerns there. I don't know that he's – he's certainly not a slam dunk to me. Now, he could be. He certainly could be an awesome coach. We don't know that. I'm just listing out some potential concerns after we listed all the positives. Yeah. I wish it was a year down the road. I wish I wish you were in a place to really give consideration to Elliot. Uh I think he's dynamic. I also think that Elliot would take, uh, not that you hire somebody for this, but I think Elliot would bring a lot more people from Clemson with him than potentially Venerables would, which would, again, you don't make your high, your head coach hire in order to try to weaken a, a conference foe. But I, I do think that it would have a larger impact on the Clemson program uh, from a broader perspective. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Florida State, and let's take James Franklin out of this equation because he's just so proven, do you think that Florida State would hire an African-American head coach after Willie Taggart? Like, not saying ever, but, like, immediately following Willie Taggart if it's not James Franklin? Um, I do think they would. I'm not sure that they would hire uh, an African-American who hadn't been a head coach and who had a like a like wasn't a coordinator background. I, I, I think that you would want— As in Tony Elliott, who's right, a coordinator. Right, you would want a much yeah. more proven background from anybody at this point. I, I think Florida State— um, uh, you know, like what I said with Odell and the names, I think Florida State's going to go after Bob Stoops, obviously, uh, try to get that across the goal line and is going to go after two to three other people that are have proven head coaching experience at big time schools. I don't know. I think that's the the extent of their list right now. By the way, uh, hey, Patreon members, can you all ask about Matt Campbell, please? Uh, like, like uh, nobody's asking about Matt Campbell. I'm a little surprised about this. We've gone two weeks. He, he just he missed the cutoff in week one, just barely. Um, All right, well, next week, if we're still doing this kind of thing, ask me about Matt Campbell because I, I would like to talk about him at some point. Um, yeah, big, he, I'm a big fan myself. Yeah, he, he would really be my good. number one choice. Uh, I have concerns about his regional experience and things like that, but, I, uh, yeah, uh, he, he would be the first call I would make if you, if you weren't able to get stoops. No doubt. Um, all right, next guy. Matt Rule. We have a lot of people want to know about Matt Rule. A little quick background here. Matt Rule uh, is at Baylor. He is 44 years of age and doesn't turn 45 until January. Uh, he played for Penn State. He was a backer there from 94 to 97. Uh, he cut his teeth uh, for the most part uh, at, um, at Temple. Yeah, he was a D-line coach. And then he was the quarterback slash recruiting coordinator in 07. That's an interesting little split, right? To go from D-line to quarterback in back-to-back years. Related, Temple was not very good back then. Um, 08 to 10, then he was their offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach. Then in 2011, he was the OC slash tight ends coach slash recruiting coordinator. So 
He's a guy who played linebacker in college, but most of his experience coaching is actually uh, coaching the offensive side of the ball. Then he went and he spent a year in, in the NFL with the New York Giants as an offensive line coach. And then he got the head coaching job uh, at Temple from 2013 to 2016. Did a really good job. And then, uh, um, or, you know, pretty good job. I don't want to say like amazing job at Temple, but, you know, did, did a good job. They were they were kind of a sad sack when he took it over. They were 2-10 and ten his first year, then 6-6. Six and six. Then 10-4, and four, then 10-3. and three. Honestly, that is a lot like what Willie Taggart did with USF. I mean, God, like extremely similar records there. Uh, and then Baylor said, oh, I like that that improvement, right? Showing that maybe Florida State's thought process when they hired Taggart was not absolutely insane. They noticed that the guy took over a program that was really struggling and turned it around and you know had some consistent, consistent success there. Uh, so Baylor said, oh, well, we're, we're coming off an enormous rape scandal and uh, we're kind of toxic right now. We understand it's going to be a pretty tough rebuild. And... Uh, um, but what do we have? We have oil money, money, and we'll we'll promise you a whole hell of a lot of it. Baptist money, Baptist uh, oil money at that exactly. So uh, they promised him a whole heck of a lot of it. Seven year contract for Matt Rule, uh, almost fully guaranteed from all the media reports, and basically said like we are going to overpay to get somebody like Matt Rule because normally we would not be able to get a, a coach like a Matt Rule, and we're going to overpay and we're going to get him and we're going to be patient. With him, and in the first year under Matt Rule, they went one and eleven. Now, last year they went seven and six. Uh, this year, they are nine and zero. Now, again, I don't want to do like the PJ Fleck thing here uh, and jinx them and then have them go off, like go play insane this weekend. But all the power ratings say like this is not a top fifteen level team. Okay. Now, I still think having Baylor in, in the top 25 level team in three years is very impressive. Certainly, the roster that, that Matt Rule took over, I think, is not quite as good as what uh, what Willie Taggart took over at Florida State. And he has done a better job at Baylor than Willie did at Florida State. Not that is actually that hard to do, quite obviously. Um, Baylor has some real fluky wins this year, clearly. And they have, let me see here, one two, three, four, five wins by a single score. What's the single score rule, guys? Everybody knows this. You don't really control how you play in single score games that much. What you control is do you blow opponents out or do you get blown out, right? For the most part, most everybody's going to go somewhere around 500 in single score games. You know, you may go 40%, you may go 60%, whatever. Baylor is 5-0 in games decided by a single score this year. Uh, they played an absolute cupcake of a non-conference schedule, which includes Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and Rice. So <laughs> nice job there to get started out 3-0. I don't think they thought they'd be in playoff contention, and they probably scheduled that to try and make a bowl when, when, when they did that a long time ago. Uh, and indeed, they will make a bowl, but that schedule will probably come back to bite them in the ass when the playoff committee looks at them, uh, even if they do go undefeated. Uh, but... Yeah, two-point win over Iowa State, three-point win over Texas Tech, which was an overtime, and honestly, Texas Tech got totally hosed by the officials. They actually went and housed Oklahoma State, which I thought was pretty impressive. Then they have a a three-point win over a terrible West Virginia team, and then last weekend, an overtime win again over TCU. It was tied 9-9 at the half, and they ended up winning, or excuse me, at, at the end of the game, and they ended up winning 29-23. 
Rule's a guy who um, believes in good offensive line play, which I think is a real positive for Florida State. However, his offensive line this year is actually not any good. So that is kind of weird, right? Like, they're 91st in stuff rate allowed. Their offensive line is actually not any good. But he does believe in good offensive line play. So in theory, maybe at some point he would have uh, good offensive line play there at Baylor. That, That takes time to develop. Baylor, he's done a good job at Baylor. They look fairly well coached when you watch them. They're also very lucky this year. Uh, they probably should be seven and two, not not nine and zero. If we're just keeping it real here, um, but I think he's a, he's an excellent candidate. Now, a couple questions here. Number one, I will tell you from some informed speculation in the media side of things. Well, first of all, I, Ingram, do you actually like Matt Rule as a candidate potentially? Um. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I see the appeal. I see the idea that you are able to give him, uh, you know, less than a, a great hand, and he was able to turn it around. Uh, I do see the similarity in some of the records that we've talked about. Um, I ultimately don't. I like him as a candidate. I don't see him ever being as a real serious candidate for Florida State, at least not right now. So uh, I think I agree with you there for the most part. Um, I will tell you that most of the industry speculation is that he will eventually end up back in the NFL. Uh, the popular like rumor going on this summer was that he was going to be the Jets coach, but the Jets were trying to dictate who he could hire on his staff to him. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to work for uh, a, uh, an NFL team that is just dictating stuff like that. I'm trying to Google this real quick. Yeah, he. Uh, here we go. Uh, this, oh, this, this actually wasn't a rumor. This got reported. Okay, so what we what we heard was not just behind-the-scenes stuff. Headline, Big 12 coach backed out uh, as Jets coach candidate due to, quote, fixed marriage assistance offer. Yeah, so the Jets were <laughs> being the Jets. <clears throat> um, uh, oh, Rule commented on this just flat out. I don't want to say anything about that job, Rule said on ESPN 1116 Dallas. At the end of the day, I'm never going to be in an arranged marriage. I'm never going to subcontract out jobs or offensive defense. I'm always going to hire people I believe in and are going to do things our way that are going to believe in the process and are going to be part of a program. I truly believe that program uh, pr- programs win. Okay, yeah. So uh, anyway, the Jets are continually dumb, and Matt Rule decided to tell them to shove it. However... People do believe that his next stop will likely be in the NFL. The one exception that we hear about that would potentially be Penn State. He is a guy uh, from New York. He's you know he's a Northeast type dude. And if James Franklin were to bolt for USC, then Penn State uh, would then be open. And you would have to think that Matt Rule would be one of the top candidates instantly at Penn State since he played for Paterno, uh, yet is not connected to all the stuff that happened under Paterno. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think Matt Rule's a really good coach. I also, uh, I would caution people who have tweeted us that Matt Rule's buyout is crazy. I don't think that's actually right. Um, and I would just say this. Just because a contract is almost certainly gar- is almost fully guaranteed to a coach, that's not a two-way street a lot of times. It does not necessarily mean that the coach would have to like pay the, the remainder on his contract to the school in order to leave. In fact, for the most part, for a coach to leave, it's almost never anywhere close as it is for the coach to be fired. So I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll let you let you know that. 
Last name that we'll talk about tonight is a, a name that's uh, f- familiar to those of us who uh, spend a lot of time in the ACC, Dave Clawson of Wake Forest. Um, I personally have some skepticism around this by how both he would be uh, greeted by the fan base and if his uh, kind of approach to football would be implemented successfully at a place like Florida State. But uh, a guy who's had success – and a guy who will probably be offered a, a job greater than that of Wake Forest at some point in the near future. But man, Dave Clawson can just flat out coach. All right, he's 52. He's from New York. He has uh, like 15 years of head coaching experience if at, at, at the D1 level. Hell, maybe 20 if, if I'm counting this right. Okay, so he started out at Fordham. They went in order. This was 99 starting, so they went... 0 and 11, 3 and 8, 7 and 4, 10 and 3, 9 and 3. So clearly has shown an ability to take a take a, a program that's down the dumps and improve it. Next stop, Richmond, 3 and 8, 9 and 4, 6 and 5, 11 and 3. Okay, so pretty clear upward progression there. Then he goes to Bowling Green. Bowling Green, 7 and 6, 2 and 10, 5 and 7, 8 and 5, 10 and 3. So. Uh, a step back in a year or two, but an overall you know, fairly upward trajectory there. Then he uh, he was actually the University of Tennessee offensive coordinator for one year uh, in 2008 between his stops at Richmond and Bowling Green. And then uh, 2014, he gets to Wake Forest. They have an absolutely terrible offensive line. Remember how bad that, that offensive line was? It was, ugh, yeah, like those guys didn't belong in ACC at all, and they were actually worse than what Florida State has right now. Uh, three and nine, three and nine, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, and then this year, seven and two. Uh, this weekend they play they play Clemson, so most likely going to go to seven and three, I would think, uh, especially because that stud receiver they have. I don't know if you guys caught this news today, uh, but uh, Sage Surratt is out for the year uh, w- w- with an injury that he sustained last week. They got blown out by uh, Virginia Tech. Florida State almost beat them this year. Louisville uh, did beat them. You know, this is like Dave's done a good job at Wake Forest. I think they'll probably finish nine and three, which is a really nice accomplishment uh, at at Wake Forest. The guy can coach. The guy can turn a program around. It does not seem like his method in, it turns a program around quickly, which I don't know how patient. Florida State's going to be with his next head coach. Like, if he comes in and is like, hey, this is my seven-year plan, I don't know if that's really going to fly. Um, now, maybe you don't need a seven-year plan at a Florida State like you do at Wake Forest. I think he's shown a good ability to hire different coaches and and run different schemes to fit the personnel. All that stuff is good. Uh, my one concern here would, would be recruiting, right? Dave Clawson, and I'm looking at these programs, Fordham, Richmond, Bowling Green, Wake Forest – he, he has, uh, and before that, I mean, Lehigh, Buffalo, the college, not the NFL team, and Albany. He has basically no experience, with the exception of one year as Tennessee's offensive coordinator, either as an assistant or as a head coach, recruiting for one of the schools that swims in the pool that Florida State recruits in. Now, I'm sure they've lost some kids who they've initially you know been on and scouted and offered early to to a bigger school, but I mean, there is some element of having your booster base and everybody on the same page and having your people organize that kind of thing. And, uh, 
um, winning recruits for the right reasons, but also winning recruits for the wrong reasons. And like I would, I would have a little bit of concern. Like I'm sure Dave Clawson understands this stuff goes on. Does Dave Clawson? Does he understand how, how to make sure that this stuff does go on at your school in the right way, in the way that gets you the kid and doesn't get you caught? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. I'm trying to basically say here, like, does he get the bags to the recruits? Yeah, I made a, I made a vague reference to it in the, in the beginning part. I just, it's a different world recruiting at Florida State. And when you got to try to go sign a defensive tackle who <clears throat> Auburn and Clemson are, are recruiting, and certainly if Georgia gets involved, it's uh, – you know, it's not just high energy and playing time that you're trying to sell a kid. Exactly right. So, yeah, that that's that would be a concern uh, that that I would have there. Um, also, I don't think he's a sexy name that would get people fired up. No, I don't think he'd be received very well by this fan base at, at this moment in time at all. I don't. I think you'd be. I think all parties involved would be kind of dooming themselves for failure. I, I think Venables would uh, um, would be received fairly well. I don't know if he, that he would succeed. I don't know if he would succeed, but I think he would be received well. With the rule, it's kind of hard to tell uh, for me. So those are the three coaches people wanted to know. Um, that's that's what they wanted to know about. But uh, next week, I'm sure we'll touch on some more if we have to. And uh, yeah, hopefully they have this Bob Stoops thing wrapped up. By next week, we will certainly see. We have two more things to talk about here, I think, real quickly. Number one is the uh, the, the possibility of Florida State's bowl destinations. I have seen the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. I have seen the uh, Military Bowl. I've seen the bowl in Detroit, and all these seem very cold weather. And I've also seen Jacksonville. The Gator Bowl is a possibility. Certainly, that's something I think that, that uh, Florida State would love to do because, if you guys recall, the season started out with the hurricane uh, scare moving the game from Jacksonville against Boise uh, to Tallahassee. And so Jacksonville lost out on its opportunity to have FSU. I think if the ACC rules allow it, and I believe you have to be within one game. So, for instance, you cannot pick Florida State for the Gator Bowl if they go 6-6, six and six, if an 8-4 and four team is is on is still on the board. Uh, so pulling up the ACC standings here, I, I, I asked about this, and I think this is still the rule. At least the person I asked thought it was. Um, if you look at the ACC standings, Virginia, I think, will probably get the Orange Bowl. Um, Wake Forest, my guess, would get picked up by, like, the Belk Bowl or something, you know? Uh, so I don't think they would still be on the board at that time. Uh, Pitt right now is six and three. Vatek is six and three. Miami is six and four. Uh, nobody in the in the Atlantic at all is is a real threat to go eight and four unless you think Louisville is is going to sweep out. So as long as as nobody else goes eight and four or better, um, then I, I think you have a real shot to go to the Gator Bowl. It's also not crazy to me to think that the Gator Bowl might sort of negotiate in theory here with some of the other tier one bowls and just say, hey, like, can you guys work this out for us? We were supposed to have Florida State in Tallahassee uh, for, for the start of the year. They have an interim coach. They had a, a really poor season. It's not like they're really going to travel very well to your bowl game anyway. Why don't like why don't you save your Florida State t- uh, shot for another year and give it give us to them this year? 
I think everybody would love to see that happen, right? And uh, and that, that would be kind of cool. So that's certainly a possibility. Going through a divorce, issues dividing property, questions about alimony, disputes over child support or visitation, problems enforcing the terms of an existing order. You want to modify a prior visitation or support order? Maybe you need a prenup. Do you have questions about adoption or dealing with acts of alleged domestic violence? Or maybe you need to appeal a final judgment. Look, picking a family law attorney is really important. It's tough to win on appeal, so you need to, you need, you need to get it right the first time. In order to do so, I recommend Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson of the Metter & Johnson Law Firm is a board-certified family law attorney. Only 280 of those in the state out of more than 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida. He has a decade of experience. He even has teaching experience in the field. Call Travis, 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter, Metter & Johnson Law Firm. For all your family law needs, 850-435-9919. We probably need to talk about an Alabama State preview here. Alabama State preview. Um, I'm going to hand a lot of this over to you, bud. Uh <laughs> Not, not going to lie to our listeners that I am uh, super familiar with them. I, I will say that hey, look, this is a this is not Savannah State coming in. Uh, it's a it's a it's it's a decent uh, program for its level of football that it it occupies. They're uh, currently second in the uh, in the SWAC and uh, have have a. Have a decent little record. They've beaten Mississippi Valley State, which uh, old in that Jerry Rice's uh, yes, college, I believe. Yeah, so the, you know what their mascot is? I don't know what the the Delta Devils. The Delta Devils. Oh, man, what an that's a hell of a mascot. Awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, lost to Alabama A and M in overtime. Beat Jackson State. Beat Texas Southern. Um, so a nice, you know, look at a decent team. A decent team that uh, Florida State should handle comfortably. But, you know, this this isn't going to be Savannah State Part 2. I, I agree with you. Um, offensively, uh, their quarterback is uh, – he's thrown 224 passes, 18 to 11 touchdown-interception ratio, so certainly not a guy who takes care of the football uh, very well. Um, not that great, but he throws for about 200 yards a game. Uh, they – they're kind of balanced on offense. They're, they're not like one of these teams that's going to get in there and just, just constantly run uh, triple option on you. Looking at the schedule, there's a couple things I can take away here. First of all, they actually played UAB extremely well to open the year. UAB lost a ton off that 2018 team. UAB won 24-19. Then they proceeded to beat uh, Tuskegee. They got whipped by uh, Kennesaw State at home. Kennesaw State, by the way, is a really good FCS team. Um yeah, like they're, what are they, top 10, I think, right now in, in FCS. Uh, Jason Kirk went there, my, my editor at Banner Society. So we'll, we'll chat about them occasionally. They lost Alcorn, uh, which was Steve McNair's school. Al- Alcorn's not that bad uh, this year. They beat Jackson State. Uh, they lost Alabama and A&M in a close one. Um, and they, I mean, like you so said, they beat Texas Southern and they beat they lost. Look, yeah. yeah, I misread yeah. that. They lost in overtime to Alabama and AM. If I if I said they won that game, I misspoke. Excuse me. So the line right now is forty and a half. Um the best team they've played this year, I think, is Kennesaw State. I think Kennesaw is probably a little bit better than UAB is. Uh if we're being honest. I know one's FCS and one is FBS. Uh and Kennesaw beat them by by thirty five. Uh if 
if Alabama State comes out and decides it wants to throw the ball, you know, 30 times in this game, then Florida State could win by 60. My guess here is that Alabama State will probably not elect to do that. Uh, it'll probably run the ball a little bit more, try to keep the clock running, try to get its paycheck, and, not, and get out of there and not get embarrassed, which would be a pretty smart move. It wouldn't shock me if you ended up having a running clock in this game. Um, but just uh, just something to look out for there. They're not like a, a triple option team. I don't think you're going to have guys get, get cut blocked all day and stuff like that, which is kind of kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, not what you want to have at this point in the year. So Florida State looks to get win number six, uh, as we said at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, apologize, but uh, don't expect to have an instant reaction from either of us uh, come this Saturday. And if we do have an instant reaction, that's probably not a probably not a good sign. But uh, we'll uh, we'll continue to be in touch. We'll do a podcast as we feel is needed as Florida State continues to go through this coaching search. Um, went a little bit long tonight, but certainly appreciate uh, the support that this podcast continues to receive. Uh, listenership strong as ever, and just thank you, uh, the listener. And we look forward to talking to you soon. If you have a uh, inkling or time to give us a five star review on iTunes, uh, always appreciated. Till next time, talk to you soon.